Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, back with you at our new time slot of 7pm on weekdays, uh, bringing you a live edition of the podcast. If you are with us live, hello. Uh, If you are watching this back later, hello. And if you're listening to this uh, tomorrow or whenever, uh, hello to you too. Thank you all so much uh, for being with us and for your continued support. I know I say this all the time, but how much better are Mondays? I've been able to say this loads of the times, actually, this, this season, because things have just been so incredible. But how much nicer are Mondays? How much easier are Mondays? How much easier is it to drag yourself out of bed on a Monday morning after an Arsenal victory. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's everything. You know, ever since covering Arsenal became my job, I really struggled with, um, like, switching off when things go badly, when things go shit, because really you can't, right? Your your job is to talk about what happened all week and then to build up to the next game. And when you're miserable because of what happened the weekend prior, it's really difficult to get up for the next game and et cetera, et cetera. And so in my job, I really do now more than ever. And I always appreciated it. But now more than ever, I appreciate when Arsenal get a positive result because it just makes everything that bit easier. We'll say a few hellos in the live chat. And on today's show, we're going to be talking a variety of subjects. We're going to be talking William Saliba after David Ornstein provided an update with regards to Uh, to his contract situation. We're going to be discussing a winger that Arsenal are being linked with, uh, who currently plays his football in Major League Soccer. And we're going to spend plenty of time taking your questions from the live chat, which I really uh, can't wait for as well. Um, Don't forget, leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the channel if you're new. And if you're interested in going one further, you can become a Chronicles of Aguna Premium member by clicking on the link in the description, signing up on the Another Slice website, creating your account, signing up to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, and then you can download the app, log in with your credentials, and access all our premium content at your fingertips. You can stay as a YouTube member as well for the time being, but that is going to be turned off pretty soon because we're migrating over to a platform I feel I can give you a lot more on. And if you sign up within the next few days or you're already signed up, I'm going to be gifting you a free month's membership as soon as I get around to it. It will happen this week, I promise. God, I came down into the man cave to do the podcast. Making all sorts of noises. I came down into the man cave to do the podcast. And when I first walked in here in a t-shirt, it was pretty cold. I've put the heating on. And now I'm sweating. Look at my cheeks. Look at my cheeks. Rosie. Uh, let's say some hellos then. Louis, 
uh, is with us, Chris, uh, Seb, uh, Trevor, Henry, oh, phone notification, uh, Trevor Bibbins, who after I said how much better are Mondays after an Arsenal win, says you go to work with a big smile on your face, Harry, absolutely do. We go to Harvey, uh, to uh, Craig, to Nav, to Amira, to Trevor, to Mafia Boss, to Adair, who says two days in a row I'm catching the show live. Got to make it more habitual. Look, we are going to try on every day that it's possible to go live at 7pm. That's the plan. Um, Wednesday, I'm going to pre-record something that will go out at 7pm just because it's the one random Wednesday that I'm working. Thursday, obviously, is a match day, so we won't be able to do the 7pm then. But we've got today, we've got tomorrow, uh, we've got Friday as well. And of course, Wednesday, uh, we'll be dropping a show at 7pm too. So uh, lots of content coming your way. Lots to look forward to. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for your very kind donation, mate. Really, really appreciate it. He says the man, the myth and the mother effing legend. <laughs> that is Harry Simi. Hope you're well, buddy. Thank you so much, man. Really, really uh, appreciate your well wishes. Uh, good evening to Gangle, who joins us from Hungary. Clock in Seb says, we've had some dark days on the channel. My God, haven't we? Got to enjoy these now uh, while they're here. Andy Carter says, I'm a Brighton fan. You're welcome. Welcome, uh, Andy, to the channel. Actually, quite like Brighton. i got to say, I know we've had a little bit of a thing over recent years with Brighton. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of Roberto De Zerbi. I hope he does well at Brighton. I really do. I've sort of defended um, him over the last few weeks. Um when, uh, you know, some people have been getting onto him. I think that Brighton in general have just evened out as opposed to them dropping off just because Graham Potter left. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, I digress. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Adair says, I, I woke up thinking about Jesse Marsh's celebrations after beating Klopp. That was quite special, wasn't it? Uh, what else have we got in the live chat? Uh, Daniel says, I don't think the timing of the podcast makes that much difference as I'm a playback listener, but I suppose your analytics say something different. Yeah, I mean, look, I've I've had messages, I've had feedback from people around the fact that they don't really know what time we're going to go live anymore, just because work is all over the place. And some days I plan to do it at one time and then I can't, and then I have to do it that little bit later. And for me as well, to be more disciplined around it, I think if there's a regular slot, it becomes a lot easier. Big shout out to Scott Saunders, the main man, my colleague uh, over at 90 Min. I uh, hope you're well, man. Uh, if you are a Manchester United fan, because I know a few of you do tend to pop in, you can check out uh, Scott's podcast, The Promised Land. is part of the 90 Min Network. You can find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can check out today's edition of the Gas Tank, our 90 Min show, uh, which went out live this morning. It was good fun today. Really enjoyed it. Always good fun when we're poking the Liverpool bear. Uh, <laughs> I hope you're well, Scott. Who says, Harry, I never realised how perfect your hairline was. Yeah, not not bad. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> OK, let, let's get into it because uh, it's been nearly seven minutes and I haven't got to the point yet, uh, which I understand can be incredibly frustrating for people. But anyway, it's a family show. It's a friendly show. That's what we do. We talk a little bit of nonsense at the start. But anyway, OK, let's get into it. So the big news today, the big report doing the rounds is with regards to Arsenal's star centre-back, William Saliba. What a player we've got on our hands. What a Rolls-Royce of a defender he is. And he's come back for this from this latest loan spell at Marseille and looks the real deal, looks the finished article. He's had a couple of moments in recent weeks and he spoke very candidly, actually, 
uh, over the last few days and and sort of, sorry over the past few hours about how he personally feels that his performances have dropped off just a little bit. He's been talking about that. I don't think we've seen a, a massive drop off from William Saliba. I think we saw a bit of a drop off in terms of the team's overall level. I thought he had a couple of shaky moments at Ellen Road, but outside of that, he's been as faultless as you can expect a 21 year old to be who's come into the Premier League from Ligue 1, I think. Um, so I don't want to dig him out. I don't want to, um, you know, read too much into his recent performances, even though I don't think they've been bad, barring, as I say, just a couple of moments of madness. I don't want to, not, not even madness. Madness is the wrong term. Barring a couple of moments of maybe indecision, I think is a better way of putting it. But I think overall, he's been a revelation. I mean, I knew he was good. I was excited for his return. But did I envisage him coming back to the Premier League and slotting in in the way he has? Did I envisage him becoming one of the top five centre-backs in the league just like that? And he is that right now. I don't care what anybody says. He is in that category. He's been that good. He's quick. He's composed. He's strong. He reads the game excellently. He's confident in playing the ball out from the back. He's got it all, William Saliba. And so this news today is significant because what David Ornstein has had to say is that formal contract talks between Arsenal and William Saliba's people are now underway. Now, if you think back to a few weeks ago, we spoke briefly about the fact that William Saliba had hinted that these contract talks were on the horizon. He hinted that conversations were ongoing. He said, uh, yes, they talk a little bit when he was asked the question about his contract. Now, what I found interesting was that a lot of people have been of the opinion that William Saliba, whose contract, current contract that is, ends in the summer of 2023, is somebody who the club have a 12-month extension option over. Now, that doesn't often get reported. And David Ornstein made a point of emphasising that bit in his piece. And I think that's really significant because it puts Arsenal in a stronger position than maybe a lot of people thought we were in. And it puts Arsenal in a better negotiating position um, when it comes to William Saliba. So there isn't this major panic now to get this done in the next couple of months. If it rumbles on a little bit longer, but that's what it needs and that's what it takes to get to the point where we want to be, then so be it. But according to David Ornstein, as I say, those formal talks between Arsenal and, of course, uh, William Saliba's people are now underway. And that's great news. It's great news because, again, it's another telltale sign about how things have changed at Arsenal, the fact that we're proactive in contract negotiations, whereas in the past, we would quite happily let players run into the final years of their contracts, then panic and then end up losing them on the cheap. It happens so many times. We've seen contract negotiations take place with Bukayo Saka. We know that conversations are ongoing with Gabriel Martinelli's people. We know that William Saliba now is in that category as well. And this business of tying down key players, players that are not only key today, but you'd expect they're going to be key for the next five, six, seven seasons if we want them to be because of how good they are, but also because of the fact that they're so young, then this is, you know, this is what Arsenal need to be doing. This business is just as important, just as significant as going out there and signing new players because it's a statement. It tells the rest of the world that while we're building this exciting young team, that we are all in on this, and that we're not going to be pushed around by bigger clubs, by bully clubs who are going to come in and try and take our stars from us. And if they do want to take them, and if some of them do have their heads turned, let's say for argument's sake, 
William Saliba wants to go to Real Madrid. If Real Madrid come knocking, but he's on a long-term contract, the contract that protects Arsenal Football Club, then we're in a position to, at the very least, if the player does kick up a fuss and wants to go, we can ask for top dollar and then we can replace. And we've never been able to do that. And that's why for years and years and years, the whole model and structure at Arsenal has been broken because we've paid big money for players, got zero return on any of our investments. And therefore, we couldn't afford to make mistakes in the transfer market anymore. And the more we made them, the more we ended up digging at our own grave and the deeper into that grave we would fall because we'd spend vast amounts of money knowing that it would bring us nothing back. So if you don't get the maximum out of that player at that point, then, you know, it's a it's a dud investment. Nicolas Pepe is a great example of that. Had Arsenal have been able to recuperate some of that £72 million on sales, then we'd be in a much better position today. And it wouldn't have taken us so long to overhaul the squad. But you look at people like Pepe, um, you know, and, and you think about offsetting that against the sales. And can you think of one big sale recently? I mean, the only one that comes to mind is Alex Iwobi to Everton. 30, 35 million pounds, whatever it was. Is that big, big money nowadays? It isn't really. But if you make two or three sales like that, in the way, for example, Manchester City have done this summer by letting Zinchenko go, letting Gabi Jesus go. I know they don't need the money necessarily. And, you know, their balancing books is very different to what needs to happen at Arsenal. But the point I'm trying to make is if you make a mistake in the transfer market in terms of bringing someone in, if you can sell players as well as bringing people in the door, you can push people out and bring in money for them then you can quite often rectify mistakes or recover from mistakes a lot quicker than Arsenal can now or have done in the past. And that's significant in terms of us moving forward. Not only that, you look at the uh, around the group and we talk about the exciting young talents that we have and there are plenty of them. If one signs, the rest probably look at that and go, yeah, you know what? This club is moving in the right direction. I feel quite happy about this. They are showing their commitment to progression. They are showing a commitment to this group and this squad that I am very much a key part of. So I think that's why Arsenal are trying to open these negotiations at a similar time, because they understand the impact and the knock-on effect that one can have on the other. And this is a group that this club wholeheartedly believe in. And the club feel that they can take us much closer to the top than we have been in a long, long time. So I'm all for it. And, you know, we wondered if this was happening in the background. We wondered if these informal talks that William Saliba suggested weeks ago were going to progress into something more formal. And we've got it on good authority, on the authority of the Ornacle, that this is now happening. I adore William Saliba. I think he's fantastic. You know, I was a little bit put off by some of the kind of noises that were coming out of his camp um, when all that crap happened at Arsenal when he was left out of the squad and then he went back to France and, you know, he was mixing with Matteo Genduzzi and there was a few Instagram exchanges that you looked at and you thought, it's a bit childish. Is this really necessary? Is this really needed? Is this something that Mikel Arteta is going to put up with and respond to? And then there was that video that was doing the rounds of him on social media, you know, around an incident that never should have been taken place in, in that environment. Yeah, I don't really know how else to put that. Um, and, and you started to wonder if he was the right character. But from some of the stuff he's been saying of late, you know, he said, 
that he never thought about leaving Arsenal in the summer. I guess he would say that now, but he, you know, he genuinely wanted to come back and fight for his place, it seems. Um, and he's done that. He was given an opportunity at the start of the campaign. I think largely because of circumstance. I don't think that William Saliba would have started the season at centre-back had Tommy Asu not been injured and we didn't have to deal with that issue, i.e. moving Ben White out to right-back. But he did come in. He hasn't put a single foot wrong, pretty much, barring, as I mentioned earlier, a couple of moments, which you can excuse him for. And um, and now he's in a place where he's performing to the highest level in the toughest league in the world. And uh, his stock is, is constantly rising. So Arsenal, fair play for getting a move on with the contract negotiations, for getting this um, underway and for sort of getting the ball rolling. Let's hope that we can do the deal sooner rather than later. Because when the team is performing the way it is now, and the mood around the club is as high as it is now. News like that is the kind of thing that keeps that hype going, that keeps that wheel turning, that wheel of optimism. It keeps it going if Arsenal continue to make not just the right investments in terms of bringing people in, but also in terms of keeping the right people at the football club. That is what I want to see. Another bit of news today um, is involving uh, Arsenal's uh, plans to bring in a winger. Now, we heard a lot about this in the summer. This was pretty high up the agenda, according to a lot of people, but it didn't really materialise. Arsenal brought in Marquinhos, a young player who's very much seen as one for the future, and Arsenal brought in Fabio Vieira, who predominantly plays in a sort of central advanced attacking midfield area, but has been known from time to time for to operate from one of the flanks. But Arsenal apparently are still in the market for a winger. Arsenal are in negotiations informally, albeit apparently, according to reports coming out of South America, uh, with the Orlando City star Facundo Torres's people. So, according to these reports coming out of South America, Arsenal are considering a move for the player in January. The Gunners were alerted uh, to the Uruguayan and his talent by scout Tony Lima, the scout who has been credited with uh, the discovery of Neymar. Uh, he's a 22-year-old who plays his football in MLS as a save for Orlando City. He got nine goals and 10 assists in his debut year, uh, and he signed from Penarol for just under £8 million in January. Uh, apparently, if he is then sold on, uh, to a Premier League club or to anybody else, Penarol would be due 30% of that transfer fee if it exceeds £8 million. And when you think that Orlando City paid just shy of £8 million for him, if a Premier League club comes calling, they're going to see dollar signs and they are going to try and get more, surely. And if they do, obviously Penarol are going to take a chunk out of that. So I expect that although the price is being talked about as around about £8 million, if you go on transfer mark, then look at this guy's value. I know that's not the gospel and it's not the way you should value players, but it gives you a bit of an idea, doesn't it? A bit of an indication, a bit of a steer. Um, he's valued at £6 million. So whatever happens here, if we do move for this player, and I don't know that we will, and, and as I say, if the interest in him uh, becomes sort of, I guess stronger if we start to hear more about this if we start to hear um you know even more reports if we start to feel as though this might be going somewhere then we'll try and get somebody on uh, i've got somebody in mind who can come in and, uh, and and just give us a little bit more information about him and tell us a little bit more about what he brings to the table but at this stage uh this is a rumor 
And I want to make that clear. We are going to keep you across all the rumours. And during the transfer window, we're going to bring you, be bringing you a show in the mornings uh, where we'll be uh, just rounding up what the papers are saying, as well as our normal show later on in the evenings. Uh, so, yeah, stay tuned for that. But the rumours have already started. November uh, is nearly upon us. Oh, yeah. Happy Halloween, by the way. Forgot about that. November is nearly upon us. And uh, and so the January chat is uh, is already starting. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy. Um, OK, let's take uh, some of your thoughts. Let's take some of your questions uh, from the live chat box. I'd love to hear from you guys. So please do get involved in that. If I could just remind you uh, while I'm waiting for you to get some questions into the chat box, please do leave a like on the video. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel as well. And if you're listening via a podcast platform, please do leave us a review as well. That really, really does help. Um, OK, let's uh, let's see what you guys are saying in the chat. Uh, Archangel just going back on Saliba says no one uh, expected him to be as good as he is. He says, I thought he'd be sold. Well done to both him and Arteta for the professionalism. That's a really good point, isn't it? Because it would have been easy for both sides, actually, to be quite standoffish after what had happened clearly some clear the air talks have happened clearly uh there's been a coming together in in terms of a, a discussion in which it's been you know made a you know in, in which Mikel Arteta's probably acknowledged and admitted that William Saliba is definitely good enough and and sort of pleaded with him to stay and and sort of given him assurances about what his role will be and also from the other side William Saliba maybe acknowledges now that he's a bit older and wiser, that actually the loan move to Marseille, it was the right move because it's taken him up a couple of levels. And that Arsenal is a great place to be for a defender of his age. He's in the best league in the world. And right now, success is, you know, is, is key in these situations, right? Right now, where else would you want to be in football other than at the top of the Premier League, at the top of the best league in the world with your team? Where else would you want to go? What else would appeal to you? The Champions League? Probably, yeah. But you'll understand that if Arsenal can maintain something close to this level for the duration of the season, that they'll be in the Champions League next year. And when you're young and you're still up, up and coming, you know that time is on your side and you'd rather um, be where you're comfortable, rather be where you know. And, 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 and as long as the club continues to match your ambition and progresses at the same rate as you, then, as I say, there's no there's no reason to go. Uh, what else have we got? Um, David Hines says that you're right. Name a better centre-back. Some say Martinez, but remember when Arsenal were in for him as well. Lissandro Martinez is a really good centre-back. There's no question about that. Um, personally, I like my centre-halves to be a bit bigger. And I know that sounds horrible, but I just I feel more comfortable with somebody like William Saliba in an aerial duel. Um, you know, but Martinez is a great player. Arsenal ultimately you know, would have had to go up against Man United in that. And would they have come out on top given Eric Ten Hag's uh, connection with the player and relationship with the player? Probably not. That would have, I'm sure, been a decisive factor. But also, I don't think Arsenal were willing to spend the money that Manchester United spent to bring the player in. For all the talk about Arsenal spending over the last few seasons and, and the fact that there's been heavy investment in the team in an attempt to try and turn the ship around, We've never really, or we haven't, in fact, exceeded that £50 million mark since uh, the Nicolas Pepe debacle. Arsenal know what they want to play for players. 
know what they feel they should pay for certain players and aren't going to be bullied under this new regime, under this new uh, management, into paying a figure that they just don't see as reasonable. And it's why you hear of Arsenal being linked to so many players and then you hear of that interest calling because Arsenal will probably set a limit, a bar to which they will go up to if they feel that the player is worth it. But once we're talking over that, there's a responsibility to to make sure that we don't get ripped off, that we don't get conned in the way that we have in recent seasons and, and that we can build an efficient model, a model that, you know, works in a very sort of specific way that allows us to build young players, to bring in players of a certain age profile, also try and find that blend between youth and experience as we've done successfully, I would say, in the last uh, last couple of seasons. And, um, and, and yet, look, at the end of the day, KSE is still our ownership, right? So you can sit there and you can say whatever you want. And yes, they have spent money and they've backed Mikel Arteta, someone they were really keen to get in at the club, someone that they went after the year before he actually joined. So, you know, all of that is is stuff that you need to remember and need to consider. Yes, they've invested some money, but there'll always be a limit to what they'll invest because A, FFP, if that's even really a thing, might just be an excuse that owners roll out these days because I don't see any other clubs um, or certain other clubs being pulled up for it. Um, but also, yeah, you know, they've never committed Abramovich levels of money. They've committed way more since they took full ownership of the club, as you'd expect. But yeah, we are where we are. And um, and we've got to remember that as well. We've got to stay grounded. Uh, big hello to uh, Alejandro, who says, shout out from Brooklyn, New York. Hope all is good, Harry. Any World Cup watch-alongs? I'm going to be honest, man. I'm going to try during the World Cup to just to just take things a little bit easier in that I'm going to be doing uh, some work over at 90 Min uh, on our World Cup shows, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, but I'm going to try sort of the rest of the time to just kind of sit back take in the World Cup, enjoy the World Cup um, and, and sort of recharge a little bit because things have been crazy um, of late and and I think I need it, uh, you know. And, and obviously, we will continue to bring you content on this channel, on this podcast. We will bring you some sort of daily segment where we just kind of briefly uh, look back over the stories of the World Cup games and, and analyse some of the games and, and talk specifically about the Arsenal players that are involved and how they're doing. We'll do all of that. Watch-alongs, maybe. I'll see how I feel. Um, I'm not going to promise, but you've planted the seed, I have to say. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's move on. Um, King Arthur says, Saka injured. You're going to be trashed by Chelsea. Oh, welcome. <laughs> uh, Saka, I think, will be okay for the weekend. I do. Um, based on what we've heard, based on, on what Mikel Arteta had to say, based on... Uh, the rumours that are going around uh, today, I think he'll be okay. Will we be trashed by Chelsea? Maybe. You know, Chelsea away isn't an easy game for anyone. What I would say is that if we do get beat by Chelsea, we've earned the right in that. Uh, we've bought ourselves that little bit of leeway because we've been so good. In this October month, we've dropped just two points in the Premier League. We had nine games to contend with this month. And we've only dropped two points in the Premier League. Two points that we should never have dropped, by the way. So if we do get beat at Chelsea, obviously I'll be disappointed. Obviously, I'll feel like we undersold ourselves or that we didn't do ourselves justice given how good we've been. But at the same time, 
it's Stamford Bridge away. It's not an easy game. It's not a game that Arsenal turn up to and, you know, are expected, at least by the sensible people, to just go and win with ease and with comfort. I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be difficult. If we took a point, I'd be delighted. If we took all three points, I'd be ecstatic. But if we do get beat, as long as we compete, as long as we're there, um, you know, giving it our all, and as long as we, um, you know, we do ourselves proud, then I'm okay with that. Because as I say, this team has earned the right to slip up. It will slip up. It's not a flawless team. It's not a team like Manchester City of recent seasons, who you look at and you think, I can't see them ever losing. We're, we're not at that point. We're not at that stage. And if you're going to lose, somewhere like Stamford Bridge is probably one of the places where I guess it's kind of acceptable. People are going to say that I lack ambition and all of that jazz now, but that's not what I'm trying to say. Um, Archangel says, I noticed Tierney and Tommy Asu are coming a lot more in field. Ala Zinchenko, do you think this is Arteta's aim to make them more like the Ukrainian in style. Yeah, look, it's obviously a big feature of our play at the moment. It just gives us that little bit more stability, um, you know, in the event that we lose the ball and in the transition, because what then happens is your back four becomes a back three, and then you've got those two players uh, in front of them in a narrow position. And one of the things, like, one of the key principles I always talk about when playing football and, and defending is to defend narrow. If you watch the great Italian teams of the past who defended impeccably effectively, what they do is they they don't worry about covering the entire width of the pitch because that's impossible to do without leaving some gaps, without leaving some spaces. What you do is you get yourselves narrow, you defend the width of your penalty area and you force your opponent out wide. Nobody's really, realistically, or nobody should score from those wide areas directly. And if they do get crosses into the penalty area, you back yourselves having packed out the box and having got the advantage where you can see what's coming, that you'll be able to deal with those crossing situations. So you always, one of the fundamental principles of defending is always to push people out wide. And so what Arsenal do, I don't even think this is so much about what we do on the ball, by the way, this inverted thing. Obviously it helps, right? Because it gives us another option. And by the left back tucking in, it gives Xhaka more space. To go out left, it gives Martinelli more freedom on the wing rather than having someone occupying his spaces. But I think what this is about, and, and this is the way I read it, some people may read it differently, is that if we do lose the ball in that situation, all of a sudden we've got two defensive midfielders and three centre-backs. Rather than when Odegaard and Xhaka push on and maybe we lose the ball, then just having Thomas Partey, who's then expected to marshal the entire width of the pitch and is invariably going to fail at doing that. I mean, he's amazingly special, but nobody really wants to be in that position. And if you think back to the Wenger days, if you think back to the days when Arteta himself was playing in that deep-lying midfield position for Arsenal, one of the common features was Arsenal losing the ball on the transition and the defensive midfielder being completely isolated. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter how good you were. You look like you were running in treacle if you were trying to put out a counter-attack because you just simply can't deal with the, the width of the pitch. Xhaka suffered from it. Arteta himself suffered from it. And I think that's the most significant point here because I think he works incredibly hard to try and prevent that being an issue. He tries desperately to prevent us being exposed on the transition. And that's been something that he's brought in ever since he arrived at the club. Even when we weren't firing on all cylinders, 
even when we weren't scoring goals, even when we weren't picking up results, we've always, under Mikel Arteta, been a better side on the transition than we were, um, and that's defending, in the defending phase I'm talking about, than we were under Unai Emery or Arsene Wenger. Hello to Regan, who joins us from Uganda. Hope you're well, mate. Uh, Afsar says, moon the likes. Yes, please do uh, leave a like on the video. Let's get up to 100 likes. Come on. Should be easy work. Um, let's do it. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Claude Murphy says, you're cherry picking your questions. I picked the ones um, that, that jump out to me. You, you know how many comments there are in the chat box? And I always say to people, if you put a cue at the beginning, it helps me to spot them. It's incredibly hard to speak for sometimes an hour on your own without pauses and read through everyone's questions. So, yeah, sometimes certain questions catch my eye. Others don't. It's not personal. Uh, it's just a random choice. And, and that's how it is. If you've got a question, mate, pop it in, put a cue at the beginning, and uh, and I'm sure I'll, I'll catch it at some point. Uh, Richie says, what's been the biggest highlight this season? Maybe our points tally, but for me, it's the Partey Screamers. I think what's amazing about the Partey Screamers is that there's been two and they've been pretty much identical. When you watch the, um, you know, when you watch the replays, I don't know if anyone's seen that clip on Twitter going around of the two literally side by side, sort of, or, or one above the other. So the two goals and the way they come about sort of in sync. What you what you take encouragement from is that that's clearly something that's been worked on. That's clearly something that Thomas Partey wants to do. He's been trying, he'd been trying to score that goal for about a year and a half until he did it against Spurs. And then he's managed to pull out another one uh, against Nottingham Forest, which was incredible. And yeah, it's it's about when you recognise patterns like that, when you see things come off like that and you see that there is clearly work going on on the training ground, that gives you encouragement. It gives you belief in the coach. It gives you belief in the players because it tells you that they're working hard on the training ground day in, day out. And you could tell by the celebration, not just from Thomas Partey, actually probably more so from his teammates, that, that is something that he's been working on for a while. Uh, big hello to Godwin, who says, uh, hello, Harry, greetings from Scarborough, Canada. If you were the owner, which three players would you add given the current position of Arsenal? So I haven't really thought about individuals like who I would go for and that's something we'll do more and in detail building up to the transfer window because we're still not there yet maybe we'll do it during the World Cup I don't know but in terms of positions I think I'd like to see us get in another number six defensive midfield player or deep line midfield player whatever you want to call them I think that's really important I'd like to see us bring in another striker and I'd like to see us bring in a winger those are the three positions I'm looking at and thinking Arsenal probably need to strengthen it. Will they be able to do that all in January? Maybe not. But can we do some of it in January? I hope so. And if we can, I think that puts us in a much better position. What I would say is another position that I've kind of flagged myself in my own mind over the last few weeks, maybe over the last 10 days, maybe is the goalkeeping position because it dawned on me that if Aaron Ramsdale picked up an injury now and, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. Touch wood, all of that. Right now with Matt Turner out, we'd be left with Carl Hine, who I actually think is a decent up-and-coming goalkeeper, but he's not at the level yet where I trust him in the Premier League in the big time. But yeah, anyway. Uh, big hello to Trev as well. Hope you're good, my friend. Uh, really says, uh, should we play a strong side against Brighton in the Cup next week, especially with Wolves away after that? I mean, honestly... 
I don't give a shit about the Cups this season. I, I really don't. Like, I know that that sounds defeatist. I know that some people will say, well, that's arrogant, whatever. Um, some people take the opposite view and say that's arrogant and you should care about the Cups, etc., etc. But genuinely, I just want Arsenal to get themselves back in the Champions League. And neither the Carabao Cup nor the FA Cup offer that route. None of them do. None of them get us back in the Champions League if we win them. Yeah, we get a nice bit of silverware, but we're not Spurs. We're not desperate to get our hands on a pot of silver um, at the expense of, you know, what would really get this club back on track. And that's Champions League qualification. So for me, use the cup to, to get other people involved. Use the cup to keep some players fresh. But there are certain players, uh, you know, and I'll give you a couple of examples. Thomas Partey, Gabriel Jesus, for example. I don't want to see anywhere near that Carabao Cup team. I genuinely don't. Um, you know, yeah, we've got Wolves and, and that obviously plays into my thinking as well. But I just don't see the significance or the importance of those cup competitions for Arsenal this year of all years. And so, no, um, I wouldn't play a strong side. I wouldn't. And, you know, you look at it and you think that there's people like Lekonga who could probably do with uh, a bit of a confidence boost. Maybe that'll be that for them. Fabio Vieira, uh, Cedric's back now in the picture. Kieran Tierney's not playing in the Premier League team. He could play. Uh, you look at the centre-backs, Rob Holding comes in, um, you know, moving it a little bit further forward. you got people like Enketia, Nelson. Those guys can have that game. Uh, but for me, you know, that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Uh, Afsar says Carabao Cup qualifies for the Conference League. I don't want to be in the Conference League. I've got zero interest in A, that competition, generally speaking. But I want us to be back in the big time. I want us to be back in the Champions League. We're Arsenal. We're the mighty Arsenal, and that's where we belong, uh, although we've been out for a while. Uh, Dimitri says, uh, Harry, how worried are you about Zinchenko's injury issues? Seems like we've signed an injury-prone left-back to replace another injury-prone left-back. Certainly feels like that, doesn't it, um, at the moment? Look, it's it's really frustrating because we don't actually know how long he's going to be out for. Mikel Arteta said that he expects him to be uh, available to go to the World Cup. It feels a bit like the Tommy Asu situation last season where we were largely kept in the dark. Um, was it last season or was it at the start of this season? My, my memory fails me. Uh, but yeah, we had a situation, didn't we, with Tommy Asu where we just didn't know when he was going to be back. We didn't know what his fitness was like. It was all kept very, very hush-hush. And I feel like we're in that boat again, only this time uh, with Alexander Zinchenko, who, you know, at the start of the season made a real difference. Like we talk about Tommy Asu playing in that inverted role. And we talk about, um, you know, Tierney trying to do it. And we talk about the significance of that. But none of them, as good as they are defensively, do that anywhere near the level that Zinchenko does. And so, yeah, I can't wait to get him back. I can't wait to get him back. I really, uh, really can't. Oh, Jesus, sorry. Uh, Amira says, um, a few months ago, we said Kieran Tierney's minutes have to be managed better He's still playing 90 minutes weekly. Are the groans because they're coming from the less prestigious UEFA Europa League and not the Premier League? I think in a lot of people's heads and in a lot of people's minds, um, you know, Kieran Tini was the number one left back going into the season. I think a lot of people believed and felt that Zinchenko's arrival was not just to see him play at left back, but it was actually to see him play in midfield as well. A lot of people had their hearts set on Granit Xhaka being replaced. 
And Granite Xhaka has proven so many wrong and continues to do so on a weekly basis with outstanding performances. And so, you know, what happens then? Where does Zinchenko fit in? Well, given the choice, clearly, Mikel Arteta preferred to leave out Tierney over Xhaka to get Zinchenko in the side, a player who he values very, very highly. I would argue as well that given some of the reports that we were we read and we were, um, you know, shown that actually Zinchenko was coming in predominantly to be a left-back anyway because of maybe a lack of trust in Kieran Tierney's ability to stay fit. I think that's important. I think that's key as well. But, you know, yes, it, it does worry me that he's out. And, you know, going back to the Zinchenko point just briefly, when it comes to Tierney, playing one game a week for him is perfect. And I think... While we keep talking about the decision to play Tommy Asu at left-back, which I don't agree with, by the way, on a personal level, I can kind of understand it. I can kind of see why Mikel Arteta wants to be careful in the way he manages Kieran Tierney. Also remember that Tierney isn't going to the World Cup with Scotland. So maybe if you can manage his minutes at this point in the season, perhaps if something goes wrong at the World Cup with regards to Tommy or with regards to Zinchenko, you know, having Kieran Tierney then in a place where he hasn't played too many games, he isn't burnt out, he isn't in the red zone, he isn't at risk of picking up a serious injury, could benefit us in the long term. So let's hold fire on that. Because listen, at the end of the day, you can question the manager's decisions. And we do that on this show and everybody does that, right? But at the end of the day, when a manager is winning football matches, there's very little you can say. And we can talk about Tierney at left back every single week until we're blue in the face. Mikel Arteta, will do what he thinks is right. And at the end of the day, when he's winning football matches and he's picking up points like he's doing currently and Arsenal is sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League ahead of a Manchester City side who are unbelievable in terms of what they can do on the pitch, in terms of their coach, in terms of their structure, in terms of the striker that they've just brought to the division. How can you complain and nitpick about certain decisions? I'm not saying that you're doing that, Amira, but I'm just talking generally. Um, you know, I don't agree with it, but I guess it's not an issue until, um, you know, until, um, yeah, it's, it's not uh, an issue until it is an issue, I guess. Uh, I apologise. Yeah, you're right. Zinchenko is not going to the World Cup because, um, yeah, you're right. Ukraine didn't didn't make it. But anyway, Zinchenko's got injury problems. So the point is, if we lose him or if we're without him or if he struggles in the second half of the season, um, you know, then then hopefully we've got Kieran Tierney available. Um, yeah, you're right. You're right about Zinchenko. I beg your pardon. I guess I got a little bit, I had it a little bit blurred in my mind because everybody's been talking about putting them in the World Cup and taking out another nation, uh, as I'm sure you guys have seen uh, those stories as well. Uh, Kenny says, um, wait a minute. Why are all these people complaining about having qualities in our team recently? Uh, I will. We have three, Thomas Partey and Harry sitting down. Complain what? Sorry, Kenny, can you rewrite that? It doesn't make sense. Wait a minute. Why all these complain about having qualities in our team recently? I will. We have three, Thomas Partey and Harry sitting down. Complaining. What? I, I don't understand that, mate. Um, rewrite it, please. I'm sorry. Um uh, Billy says, uh, I admit I was struggling with Granite, but I'm so happy he made me love him again. <laughs> I would never have seen it. Another reason to love Arteta's unquestionable vision to succeed. I'm along for the ride. 
there you go um yeah just uh nav says he never knew um the ukraine story basically there's been reports over the last couple of weeks that there's been sort of petitions based on what's going on in iran at the moment to have them um removed from the competition and if that happens that there's talk that ukraine should be put in that's where that story comes from uh who said have i got my granite jacker bobblehead uh alejandro did here we go there we go let the camera refocus there you go <laughs> oh man um right listen I i'm gonna leave it there um if i didn't get around to your questions i'm sorry but we will uh, be back tomorrow of course um i'm gonna do a special show tomorrow and we will take questions at the end of it but basically i was sitting on my train ride okay um when was it this morning and I was thinking about sort of what's changed at Arsenal. You know, most people, like, they just, they switch off and, you know, they, I don't know, watch a film on the train, watch their phones, whatever. I'm sad and I sit there and I stare into space and I think about Arsenal because, well, that's how I'm wired. Um, but I was thinking about kind of, you know, what the major differences are this season. What is it that Mikel Arteta's managed to do? What is it that he's managed to instill uh, this season that we just... You know, we, we, we just didn't have previously. And I decided to look at the goals that we'd scored after 11 games in the Premier League last season. Do you know how many it was? 13. Goals for this season. Um, oh, I beg your pardon. I, I got that wrong. Hold on. Because I've missed out one match week there. So hold on. Let me just recalculate that. Because um, I did look at it earlier. But obviously, yeah, it, it was still, even after 12 games, I looked at 11. After 12 games last season, Arsenal were fifth in the Premier League and had scored 13 goals. Okay. After 12 games this season, Arsenal were top of the Premier League and have scored 30 goals. Okay. So that's 17 more goals in the Premier League at this stage than last season. So how has that happened? How has that changed? It's not just Gabriel. Is it just Gabriel Jesus? Has he scored that many goals no he hasn't is it the play the interchanging play that he brings what is it what is it that's changed so i kind of went down a rabbit hole and i was looking at statistics and i was thinking a lot about this 17 more goals at the same stage as last season we had 13 goals after 12 games last time that's just over one per game and now we're in a place where after 12 games we've got 30 goals which means we're now averaging more than two goals a game Right. That's that's huge. It's a huge, huge upturn. So why is it? Why is it? That's what the show is going to be on tomorrow night. So come and join me at 7 p.m. We're going to be breaking it down because I've noticed some tactical differences that have contributed largely to this. Not just the introduction of Gabriel Jesus, not just Gabriel Martinelli taking it up a level, not just Bukayo Saka uh, finding his form as well. There are tactical differences this season that are allowing us to score far more goals and are allowing us to get players into the right positions. And then obviously we're converting. So that's what tomorrow's show is going to be on. Why are Arsenal scoring so many goals at the moment? What's the differences that have contributed to that? And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to spend some time tomorrow during the day getting some graphics, getting some screenshots from games so that I can share those with you. So if you are a podcast listener, I will explain it all, but you might want to come over to YouTube for this particular episode. 
Okay, we are going to leave it there. Don't forget to leave a like on the video. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new and if you're listening on uh, one of the podcast platforms, please do leave us a review. I'll catch you all soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.